Welcome to So Dead, a podcast that's all about supporting local tourism in the most terrifying way possible. I'm Jen Carpenter. And I'm Danny Fairman. Happy True Crime Tuesday. And happy Taco Tuesday, deadheads. Today we're going to talk about a tourist destination that's a little more off the beaten path than most. Irish Hills. Ooh. I know. So Irish Hills is a resort area in the southeastern part of Michigan's Lower Peninsula. Okay. Um, It's known for its rolling hills, clear lakes, and resort-like communities. Its small towns and villages and bizarre tourist attractions sprawl from part of Jackson to part of Ann Arbor to part of Adrian. So it covers a pretty big area. Yeah, Yeah, it's big. Um, It was established in 1833 when its second settlers arrived. And I say second because the Native Americans were the first. Of course. But shit only gets documented when the tall white dudes come to town. Of course. So that's when it was established. Yes. (laughs) Fuck whoever's been here for hundreds of years. Right. We just discovered it. (laughs) Wasn't that the way of it? Always. And still is. Mm -hmm. Um, There are 52 lakes in Irish Hills, with the largest being Devil's Lake. Devil's Lake. Devil's Lake. Oh, no. It's located in Lenaway County. Do you say it, Lenaway? Lenaway. I hear people say say Lenaway, but I think it's Lenaway. I think it's Lenaway. And it is measured over 1,300 acres. That's a big lake. That's a big lake. Um, It's now a tourist hotspot with lake communities surrounding it. But below the water surface, there's a story to tell. Tell me the story. The name Devil's Lake is said to be the English translation for the Native American word, and I will probably murder this, so forgive me. Machi Manitou? What? Machi Manitou? Maybe. I'm not going to try to fix it. It means water spirit. It is said to be the greatest, most powerful spirit. Story goes that the leader of the Native American tribe, again, I'm going to murder this. I'm going to read it before I say it. Potawatani. Potawatami. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Ho, oh, oh. Um, He had a daughter who was a great swimmer, but drowned one day in the lake, sadly. Um, he believed that she was taken by the evil spirit, the water spirit called Machi Manitou, and her body was never found. <gasps> Yikes. Mm-hmm. Um. Along with many of the lakes that Irish Hills holds, it also has super fucking weird attractions. Yes, it does. <laughs> it has the Mystery Hills, oh which my is God. a gravity spot. Those are so... I mean... Have you the, been there? I've been to that one specifically. Uh-huh. There are more than that one, and those yeah. are so confusing. Very confusing. I was there when I was little. I was trying to find a picture of us there, because I know we snap pictures, and I couldn't find one. Um it oops, sorry it kind of reminds me and i this is gonna sound horrible but it reminds me of like the poor man's ripley's believe it or not sort of <laughs> like that's how i've always because it's usually like in this shack that you walk yeah to. it's in a little shack so it's a gravity uh what is it it's like a gravity pull a gravity pull mm-hmm. it's so it's basically you're walking through these weird rooms and gravity the laws of physics, everything we know fundamentally mm-hmm. as humans that have been walking on Earth for however many mm-hmm. years we are old 
gets flipped upside down and it's so confusing. It is very and confusing. so disorienting and right. off-putting. So like you can be standing, but your body looks completely diagonal. It's very hard to explain. It is. There's if, pictures online, though. Even the we'll pictures don't too. fully... No. Because when you're in it, you are being pulled. You feel yes, the pull you feel of gravity it. like you're in a thousand pounds of water. Right. Like, like do water's you, not weighed by pounds. Do you a thousand th- gallons of water. You don't think it's like an optical illusion, though, right? I think a little bit it is. I think it they play with be, it, for sure. But it's so strange the way that it makes you feel. Uh-huh. It just, it's very strange. It is strange. Um, there's also a prehistoric forest amusement park. Yes. This isn't in operation anymore, but it was a forest with tall fiberglass dinosaurs scattered throughout. It still is. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, it's abandoned, but it's still there. Did it I- is still there. There's a new owner who... um has plans to refurbish some of these oh dinosaurs God, and reopen, so. but it's been a couple years and I, like no progress has been made. Yeah. Um, like humans are super fucking weird. Yeah. It was. Why have a park of big fake dinosaurs? You know, it was a <laughs> theme park. You really think about it. People I, love dinosaurs oh, and it was a theme When park. I was little, I wanted to go to this so bad. I don't think we ever went, but I remember seeing them like on the side of the yeah. road. And there's another one down south. There's mm, another one in Michigan that, up, that is, is in operation. I there don't is. think it's quite as cool as this one. This one, the whole thing about it now is it was supposed to look like a prehistoric mm-hmm. forest with these giant dinosaurs. <laughs> like the woolly mammoths have wool right. on them, everything. So and funny. now it's abandoned, but the dinosaurs are still there. So a lot of them are toppled over and broken. Some of them are still standing. Everything's overgrown. Right. You're not supposed to go back there, so don't go back there. But there's a lot you can see from the road, just mm-hmm. from the parking lot, because right. it's still there. And it's creepy as shit. It is. Just, like, really sitting and thinking about it, though. I was like, it's right I on remember a wanting road. to go to this, but yeah. I wonder... The person that made these, what made them go, let's make a bunch of giant fake dinosaurs. Because people have always loved dinosaurs. We've always loved oh, them. Oh, I know. I know. And I would probably go if I, like, I didn't know there was another one in Michigan. Yeah, so that's there is. Great. I can't remember where that one is. But um, so these are both in Onstead. And they're on the same road. And they're right down the road from each other. Really? Uh-huh. That's funny. The mystery... Mystery spot is that what it's called? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, mystery the mystery spot hill. And the prehistoric it's mystery forest. hill. Mystery and hill. The, yeah, that yeah, I knew. I thought you were talking forest. about the other yep. prehistoric no, no, forest. No. I don't know where that is. <laughs> I was like, wait, but yeah, what? these are both in Onstead, and they're right down the street from each other. Right. Yes. Um, there's also a stagecoach stop. This is a little town that resembles a western town. They have cowboys that do gunfights from building to building. Mm-hmm. That's so funny to me. Um. You can pan for gold there. And they refurbished a hotel to look and feel like you were in the wild, wild west. Yes. You stayed there? We've stayed there. A few years ago, we went there. Is it cute? Um, Yeah. So it was another theme park um, long ago. And it kind of is again now. It was closed for a long time and then it reopened. But it, I don't know how to describe it. It's the weirdest place, but it's so cool. Mm -hmm. We went a few years ago for 4th of July. I think... Shortly after they had reopened, now it's a little harder to book um, 
rooms there because I keep trying because the kids loved it. But so there's like a little 12, I think there's 12 rooms in the hotel part and it's a mo, it's a motel. Yeah. You, know, you get to right. it from the outside. There's a game room with like pool and mm-hmm. a few video games and air. Yeah, I saw a bunch of stuff. pictures. Um, there and then you walk up a hill and there's um like a petting zoo but they've got a big pig and some other animals there you can do the pan for gold they do the the shootout there there's this whole so basically they're building it back out but they started with the hotel but mm-hmm. much of it is still abandoned so there were all these weird, like there was an outdoor church and all these weird little outbuildings that used to be attractions right? and are now just abandoned, but they're still part of this property that's open. Right. And it we were the only people there that weekend. Oh my God. Or no, it wasn't the weekend. It was the middle of the week. That oh. was the whole thing. Fourth of okay. July was in the middle of the week this year. Okay. Um, two, three years ago, maybe. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Um, we were the only people there for a in this July. abandoned old west themed mini city resort park it was like being in a horror movie but it was it was great it was so fun and the rooms are super cute Uh um our room we stayed in the room with the giant jacuzzi tub which (laughs) was humongous um and it's all western themed not gonna lie that's gross hmm that's gross what's gross did you use the jacuzzi yeah but i cleaned it first oh good job Okay. It was it was like pool sized, like humongous. Not saying that they're dirty. I just in general. Yeah. <laughs> it you know. sounded like you just got electrocuted. Uh, that's how I feel. Yeah. So stagecoach stop is a really. It, it's also. I'm not sure if it goes. It's Cowboy Creek Lodge as well. So it goes right. by kind of both names. I think stagecoach stop is supposed to be the whole place, and then right. Cowboy Creek Lodge is the is hotel. the hotel that's there. Right. A motel kind yeah. of in. We'll call it an yeah, inn. Yeah, an inn. I think mm-hmm. they refer to it as a hotel. But it's it's the feel of a motel. Yeah. Um, there's a saloon also, right, across yes. the street. But they have plans to refurbish, the like bring back some down. of The saloon is closed. Yeah. But some of those attractions that you mentioned, I think they have plans to slowly bring them back. Yeah, I, I think when we stayed, they were just starting to like – they had just done the hotel part and then they're pushing out and mm-hmm. starting to try to redo the rest. So cool. It's like a little gem. Like, I didn't know it was Yeah, there. it was so fun, and the kids really want to go back. But um, I believe their current setup is that for weekends, yeah, it's you weekends have to book only, the whole thing, oh. all 12 rooms. So they're more of like an event. Oh. Like, you have to take your whole family. You have to have your family reunion or Makes whatever. Sense. So you, I think you can book single rooms during mm-hmm. the weekdays during the summer, but on the weekends, you have to book the whole thing. Okay. So it's hard to get in, too. But it's worth it, and it's a lot of fun. Right. Yep, it sounds cool. Um, so on Irish Hills, there are also two towers called the Irish Hills Towers. They are located in Cambridge Township in Lenawee County. Um, these towers kind of have a silly history. Okay. I was really, really fascinated by it. So in the 20s, the Michigan Observation Company was looking for a place to erect an observation observatory tower to draw in tourists um it had to be of a certain elevation with great views of course um they opted for bundy hill in cambridge township a farmer edward kelly who owned part of the land turned down the company's offer to build the tower the owner of the adjoining land was okay with it and so the tower was built on his land like literally right on the border of where the land split. 
Um, a grand opening was celebrated with a gala and huge party. Um, Kelly was so angered by the exploitation of the project that he retaliated by building his own tower <laughs> right next to the original one, <laughs> causing an obstructed view. Oh, my God. I know. The observation company added another level to their tower. So and then did so did Kelly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So That's then so the company funny. added an observation deck to give it more height. And so did Kelly. Oh, my gosh. So the Michigan Observation Company finally told him that they'll tear down their tower and rebuild so tall that he won't be able to compete. So he gave up. Um, but the two towers stood and operated as separate businesses until 1950. That's hilarious. It's hilarious. And then in 1950, they were bought by a local Michigan man. He added a gift shop at the base of the towers and connected them. And then the towers closed in 2000, but they reopened after they were refurbished in 2013. Yeah, and to so look at them today, there. you wouldn't think that they started out as competing Separate. businesses. They look like <laughs> they it look was identical. all built together on purpose. Isn't that funny? That's really funny. It's really funny. Um, okay, and so I mentioned Devil's Lake. There's also Loch Aaron. Loch Aaron. Which is where Jen's story takes mm. place. Loch Aaron is a private lake located in Brooklyn, Michigan, which is just south of Jackson. Um, the community has an HOA that appears to be pretty strict. <laughs> I was reading their page. Um, I know that some people get super annoyed with HOAs, but in all honesty, in a community like this, it would probably be necessary to help maintain the property value. They just get a little out of control sometimes. They do. The they problem. do. Um Anyway, so there are currently about 61 homes for sale in this community. Okay. The prices range from $165,000 to $650,000. Holy shit. That is a huge gap, right? That is a big gap, and those are some fancy houses there yes, on the higher end. They all end of look that really gap. nice. I looked up some of the listings. They all look really nice. Um, the ones that are 165 are like the homes you and I live in. They're nice. Normal. They're not shitty houses. They're nice, like your average American mm-hmm. would live in them. The ones for six hundred and fifty were like on the lake, super fancy. Like we, they probably put up super nice Christmas decorations, Have dinosaurs. Yes, yep. Um, and it on the surface looks like a really nice community, and they're all very tight knit. Mm. Until your story. Until enters. my story. So tell me your story. I I gonna... tried very hard to. I was really digging the research for this lake, and your Lock. story would pop Kept up and up. And I would not look at it because you did not engage. I I want to be completely surprised. So I appreciate it. I'm excited to hear this. So. Um, I'm excited to tell you this story, maybe more than I've been excited about a story ever. Really? One of two things has happened. I have either really fucking found something, or I'm a shitty murderino that should have known all of this and didn't, Mm. because it's just that kind of story. Really? I've never heard it. So maybe we're both shitty. So I am going to tell you guys about the Lock Aaron Monster Get it? Like Loch Ness Monster? Uh-huh. Only Loch Aaron. <laughs> yeah. The Loch Aaron Monster. Gary Addison Taylor, 
a serial killer who is suspected of murdering as many as 50 women across the United States between 1972 and 1975. Shut the fuck up. Gary was born to Mr. and Mrs. Milo Taylor in Howell, Michigan in 1936, which Howell is about 40 miles southeast of Lansing, so Mm -hmm. much closer to here than the Irish Hills area, actually. Mm -hmm. When he was 15, he and his family moved to Florida, where he embarked on his first spree of violent attacks against women. He would hang around bus stops after nightfall and wait for a lone woman to get off the bus, then attack her with a hammer. The dozen or so unsolved attacks were attributed to the bus stop phantom. At the age of 18, he was arrested for beating a woman nearly to death with a wrench as she stepped off a bus in St. Petersburg. So he liked tools. He liked tools and he liked to hit women with them. What a fucker. Mm -hmm. As a teenage boy. The case went to trial where a jury acquitted him. (sighs) He and his family quickly moved back to Michigan after that and settled in the Detroit suburb of Royal Oak. Oh, lovely. Yeah. In 1956, at the age of 20, Taylor became the notorious phantom sniper of Royal Oak. I don't know what was with the word phantom back then, but I think it's a little crazy that twice he was assigned as an anonymous person. Right, he was phantom. assigned the title of Phantom something. That's weird. He was weird. the bus phantom, the bus stop phantom in Florida, and then the phantom sniper of Royal Oak. So weird. The strange crime spree began on December 22nd, 1956, when a young girl was shot in the back by a 22 caliber rifle one evening as she and a friend were walking toward their Royal Oak homes. Over the next several weeks, over a dozen similar attacks occurred, all against young women, all at night, all in the Royal Oak area, and all committed with a 22 caliber rifle. Mm. The community was terrified, and the police were stumped. But then on February 7th, 1957, about a month and a half after the first attack, the phantom sniper went a little berserk. Um, his first victim that evening was Shirley Eland, mm. a young woman who was shot in the shoulder when she stepped out onto the front porch of her Bloomfield Hills home, which Bloomfield Hills is in the Detroit area as well. Uh, Next, he shot at two young women at a Royal Oak bus stop. He really liked those bus stops. Mm -hmm, What a weirdo. He missed them both, but shot through the cloth on both of their coats. Then he shot out the back window of a station wagon, shot at an 18-year-old girl walking down the street, and at several vehicles and homes. He shot through the front window of a Southfield home where 11-year-old Carol Ann McCarthy was sitting on the sofa watching TV. The bullet grazed her cheek. Police spotted his vehicle and chased him through neighborhoods and down side streets before cornering him in an alley. He was walking away from his vehicle by the time they approached, so he turned down an alley and jumped out of his car, so by the time they turn into the alley, he's not in the car anymore. Right. Um, So he's walking away from his vehicle by the time they approach, and when they said whatever they said to him, mm-hmm. stop right fucking there, put your fucking hands up. I guarantee you the word fucking was involved. Um, he turned around calmly and said, I beg your pardon? By the oh time gosh. it was all over, the phantom sniper had attacked 16 young women, oh seriously God. wounding four of them, but killing none of them. Really? And so I wonder if he was that bad of a shot or that good of a shot. Like the girls at the bus stop, he shot with one bullet through both of their coats and didn't hit them. 
So that almost seems intentional to me. Mm -hmm. Or he was just that bad of a shot. I don't know. And to shoot through a house window and graze someone's cheek. It just like he was just trying to scare the shit out of people. Yeah, and not trying to actually. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he was that bad of a shot. But to me, it sounded more like he was intentionally (sighs) just missing people or just grazing them. Either way, Mm -hmm. he wasn't being a good guy. Either way, it's nutty for (laughs) sure. Right. Um, Gary Addison Taylor was described as a polite, clean-cut factory worker who was on the shy side. Of course. Neighbors and family friends were stunned when he was accused of being the phantom sniper, but he confessed to the crimes, and he told police that he, quote, had an urge to shoot at women. A psychiatrist at his (laughs) trial said... Right. I mean, you can't say he didn't do it. He definitely did it. Right. Um, A psychiatrist at his trial said he is unreasonably hostile toward women, and this makes it very possible that he might well kill a person, probably a woman. He was declared dangerously insane, and in 1957, at the age of 20, he was sent. Guess where they sent him? Ionia. Ionia State Hospital (laughs) for the Criminally Insane. Of course. Of course. Uh, Three years later, he was transferred to the Lafayette Clinic in Detroit. While out on a day pass to attend a welding class, he raped and robbed a Detroit (laughs) beauty queen in her home after posing as an IRS agent. The following year, while out on another day pass, he threatened a woman and her young daughter with a machete. Oh, my. So, okay. He's Was in. he a trustee then? Right. He must have been a trustee. <sighs> Something. I don't know. Um, he was not charged for either incident. Instead, he was sent back to Ionia. <laughs> uh, I'm was, not laughing because it's funny. I'm just laughing at the at irony of all of this. Okay. this. What's crazy is that this gets... So much worse, like I know, I in a way that's unbelievable. This. I'm telling you, I either found something or I'm a shitty, shitty murder fan for <laughs> not, not knowing, knowing this. Um, he was transferred again, this time to the Michigan Center for Forensic Psychology in Ypsilanti. In 1972, after 15 years of being shuffled between mental institutions, he was released into the wild. The reason, according to hospital officials, was that he was not mentally ill He just had a character disorder. His doctor said that as long as he took his medication and He did have a character disorder. He he liked to fucking shoot people. Right. But it wasn't that he was crazy. It was just that he liked to shoot people. Logically. I mean, we all have flaws. I guess. That's a quirk if you want to talk about quirks. (laughs) Um, He was released on convalescent status as an outpatient and was required to attend regular appointments with his psychiatrist. He grew tired of that quickly, though, and stopped going to his appointments in early 1973. It took 18 months for authorities to register him as an escapee with the National Crime Information Center in Washington, D.C., due to what would later be described as a clerical error. (laughs) And it was during that time that he became a serial killer. Shortly after his release, Gary met a pretty young secretary named Helen, and the two were married. They moved to Onstead, Michigan, a.k.a. the Irish Hills, Mm -hmm. into a nice little house on Loch Erin, where they lived for about a year. From there, they went west, 
They lived in Seattle for a while, then moved to a quiet farm in Enumclaw, Washington. I don't know how to say that, but I'm saying <laughs> I was just going to ask you to re-say that word because it sounded e- like a sound. E-N-U-M-C-L-A-W. Hmm. Enumclaw, Enumclaw, something. Our Michigan accent prevents us from, from saying, saying that word. Enumclaw. <laughs> it didn't take long for Gary to find trouble again. On November 27, 1974, 19-year-old newlywed Vonnie Stuth disappeared from her Seattle home sometime between 11 p.m. when her brother stopped by to pick something up and 1.15 a.m. when her new husband arrived home from the late shift at work to find the door unlocked, the TV and lights all on, and Vonnie's purse and keys on the counter. Unlike in most of the cases we talk about, authorities were instantly concerned because... Eight other pretty young women had disappeared from the area that year, including two acquaintances of Vani's, her former classmate Denise Nasland and former co-worker Janice Ott had both gone missing from Lake Sammamish State Park on the same summer day, just four months before Vani disappeared. Police quickly zeroed in on a former neighbor of the Stuths who just recently moved from Seattle to Anumkla, which I still can't say. Gary Addison Taylor. Taylor was questioned and booked into custody, but then was released a short time later as police had no grounds on which to hold him. They didn't even have a body to prove that a crime had been committed at that point. Granted, he was technically an escaped mental patient from Michigan, but because that hadn't been entered into the national database yet, authorities in Washington had no idea. So they let him go. Mm -hmm. So that's our bad. For sure. Right. Uh, He promised to return to the station a few days later to answer additional questions and to take a lie detector test, but instead he vanished. By January 13th, 1975, authorities had been actively searching for Gary Addison Taylor for several weeks in connection to the disappearance of Vonnie Stuth. So imagine their surprise when an alert from Michigan popped up on their system saying that Taylor was a wanted escapee. An alert that should have been sent out a full year and a half prior in the summer of 1973. Right. So now Washington authorities are looking for him. Michigan authorities are looking for him finally. Uh, but where is he? Texas. And That's his where reign they of all terror go. continued. Between March and April of 1975, five women reported nearly identical sexual assaults in the Houston area. They were all realtors or residential managers. A tall, handsome, charming man would show interest in vacant homes and apartments they were leasing. Uh Uh-oh. And then as soon as they were alone, he would rape them at gunpoint. What the fuck? His final victim was a pregnant teenage housewife that was forced to accompany him to a motel under the threat that he would harm her 18-month-old baby if she didn't cooperate. After raping the pregnant teen, the perp fell asleep and his victim was able to escape. She called police, and although her attacker was gone by the time they got there, the information he used when registering at the motel revealed his identity. It was Gary Addison Taylor, wanted in both Michigan and Washington. He was apprehended a month later on May 20, 1975. Once Taylor was in custody, his wife Helen resurfaced in San Diego and through an attorney contacted authorities. She told them that she suspected Gary had killed dozens of women, including Vonnie Stuth in Seattle and at least four people in Michigan. Houston authorities held Taylor on multiple sexual assault charges while authorities in Michigan and Washington began digging for bodies at Taylor's former homes. 
Vonnie Stooth's body was found in a shallow grave behind Taylor's Anumclaw home. She'd no. been shot in the head. The oh, Michigan no. story is a little more fucked up than that. Oh, no. I'm, like, waiting for this. <laughs> On May 22nd, <laughs> your, face, oh, your face is terrible. I mean, it's a good face, oh. but the face you're making is terrible. Right. Like, you look terrified and I horrified am terrified right and now. all of that. On May 22nd, 1975, the same day they were contacted by the Houston Police Department, the Lenawee County Sheriff's Office took a van full of trustees from the jail <gasps> out to Taylor's former home on Lock Aaron. Stop it. Listen. <laughs> a young family of four had just purchased the house two weeks prior. No. Can you fucking imagine? You're still unpacking your boxes in your new house and a van full of prison Inmates pulls up and the police are like, excuse me, sir, we got to look for some bodies in your yard. All these prisoners are going to help. Are going to dig for some bodies in your oh, yard at your new home. Oh, my God. Can you seriously? No. So the family left. They went back to Grand Rapids where they were from and they never came back. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Within an hour, trustees had found the bodies of two young women wrapped in plastic bags, tied up with rope and electrical cords, and shot in the head. They were later identified as 25-year-old Lee Fletcher and 17-year-old Debbie Henneman, both missing from Toledo. A Toledo nightclub owner said that the women left the club with Taylor one night in March of 1974 and were never seen again. Taylor later told police that he didn't even know their names. Oh, the other two bodies said to be buried on the Lock Aaron property were never found. So they could still be there. Yeah. Or somewhere nearby-ish. Gary Addison Taylor confessed to the murders of Vonnie Stooth, Lee Fletcher, and Debbie Henneman. He also confessed to all of the rapes he'd been accused of and the murder of 21-year-old go-go dancer Susan Jackson in Houston, who'd vanished from the Three Thieves Bar where she worked on May 14th, 1975. Taylor said he took her back to his apartment after her shift, suffocated her, then wrapped her body in blankets and plastic bags and dumped her outside of town. While he was only charged with four murders, it is believed that he likely killed between 20 and 50 women oh in God. Michigan, Washington, California, and Texas. He once told police when talking about how pretty girls were always flirting with him, I'd smile back and they'd think I might be flirting with them. If she only knew what I was thinking, she'd be scared to death because I might be thinking something like, boy, I'd like to shoot you. Oh, isn't that terrifying? It was decided that the strongest case against Taylor was the Vonnie Stooth case. So Taylor was extradited to Washington, where he pleaded guilty to second-degree murder on April 30th, 1976, when he was 40 years old. And he was sentenced to a minimum of 90 years in prison. That fucker is still alive. Of course. Of course and is housed is. at the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla, Washington. Walla Walla. Walla Walla. Um, he's 83. He will be eligible oh for God. parole in 2036 when he is 100 years old. <laughs> if he's 100 years old I kind of, and he's up for parole, I kind of want them to grant him that parole just because he'll die in the elements of the real world. Right. The family of Vonnie Stooth filed a multi-million dollar lawsuit against the Michigan doctor that released Taylor, the one that said he'd be fine as long as he took his pills and didn't drink, um, and then failed to report him missing for a year and a fucking half. Um, I don't know if they won that lawsuit, but I sure hope that they did. Mm -hmm. So here's the craziest part. And I've 
peppered it in through parts of the story. Mm-hmm. This was a young, handsome, mm-hmm. charismatic man mm-hmm. murdering young, beautiful women in the Pacific Northwest from 1972 to 1975. He was arrested three months before Ted Bundy, and the police mixed up many of their victims. <gasps> So there really? were two Ted Bundys. That's crazy. Like there wasn't a copycat. There right, wasn't it was just happening there were at the same time. Two Ted Bundys. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. And one of them was from Michigan. Oh my gosh. In fact, one of the stories that I found, so there are some stories that will come up from recentish news articles mm-hmm. from Michigan, but they focus on the Lock Aaron murders. And not even really in very much detail then, just this crazy thing about they found these bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, The only article that I found that covered everything was, I think it was originally published in the New York Times. It was in a lot of big papers, but I think that was where it originated. Um, In 1975, while he was awaiting trial, and fucking Anne Rule wrote it. And it's the only thing I can find that outlines everything he did. So this is before her world got rocked when her friend Ted Bundy got arrested for murder. And they thought they had him. They thought he was Ted Bundy. And then he was in jail and the murders continued and they realized there were two of them. That is so insane. Like, yeah. So again, either I'm real shitty murderino for not knowing any of this. Me too then. But guys... There were two Ted Bundys. And he, I'm going to post a picture of him. He looks like a James Dean impersonator, kind of. Really? Not quite as handsome, but he was handsome. And the picture I have from him is when they arrested him for being the um, phantom sniper. So he's like 20. Right, young. Really good looking. Um, Here's the one thing that, I mean, not the one thing, but something that gets me. Like Ted Bundy was in a relationship. Yes. Why did he not kill her? Like, what was it about her? And this guy was in a relationship. Why did he not kill his wife? You know, what is it about these particular women where they don't become victims, they become their partners? I like, think not it's crime part partner, of them that was trying to have, like, a, a normal, normal life. Appear normal. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. It's insane. That's so a that's crazy it. Story. That's the story of the Lack Aaron monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now it's file dump time. So let's talk about our pet peeves. Pet peeves? I've got one. What's yours? Um, one is the way people eat. If I can hear them. There's a word for it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mis- I don't know how to say it. Misophonia. Sounds like mesotheliomia. Mesothelioma. Uh, the only way I know that word is from the pill Yeah, from commercials. the commercial. Mm-hmm. Um. The class action lawsuit. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, I hate hearing people talk or not talk. <laughs> I hate hearing people talk. You are in the wrong business here, sister. No, I hate hearing people eat. It is chew and been oh. a lifelong thing. Like if I hear the food swishing around in your mouth mm. and look, I get it. Like tacos are crunchy. Chips are crunchy. You're going to hear it. But yeah, so my pet, my biggest pet peeve is probably people eating with their mouths open. And yeah. when you can hear the food swishing in their mouth, mm, yeah, no, all that I have stuff, the it's same gross. issue. It like physically makes me ill. I have that same issue, and for me, the worst offender is my husband. No, I probably threatened to kill him a couple times a week <laughs> during mealtime. It's he's going to be a problem. story. 
he, that we talk be about. on the podcast someday. Poor guy. As a ghost and a murder story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon at So Dead Podcast. You can also find us online at SoDeadPodcast.com and email us your feedback and story ideas to SoDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Now get out there and shine. You magnificent what the fucks.